Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. This is a Health Hacker interview where we find out from inspiring people who have hacked their lives, how they did it, and then pass the knowledge on to you. Now, Adam, in this episode, we're going to speak to Dr. Dale Bredesen, and I've been told to remember it rhymes with medicine, <laughs> which is a very good thing to know when we speak to a doctor. 220 published articles, a New York Times bestseller with his book, The End of Alzheimer's. Welcome, Dr. Medicine or Dr. Bredesen. How are you? <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Mate, great to see you. Um, you're looking very refreshed. You just come off three days of travel. What's your secret? Uh, I, I, actually, I don't have a secret for that. It's a long time travel and I'm definitely a bit tired. So if I fall asleep in the middle of this, I apologize. <laughs> That's the one thing you can't hack. I don't think anyone's been able to figure out jet lag yet. Jet lag. Well, uh, you, you know, get your melatonin and things like that and, and uh, then get some sleep when you, you know, when you get there. But uh, you know, ch- the idea of changing time zones and knowing how to do that good thing, you know, when to get the blue light, when to get your melatonin. So there are certainly hacks you can do for travel. Obviously, you're, you're at the forefront of finding a cure for this awful disease that's affecting so many people. Can you just explain to the average person out there just uh, how many people are affected by uh, cognitive decline at the moment and the fact that... um you know, you're hoping to put a protocol in which will hopefully get a cure. Yeah. So first of all, I should say, you know, we don't use the term cure because, uh, you know, we have many people and we just published a hundred examples where we have very nice objective quantitative data before and after showing improvement. So we have unprecedented improvements and we have reversal of cognitive decline. Great. We don't call it a cure. You'd have to have an autopsy and show that, yes, everything's (laughs) gone. So in that sense, it's not a cure, but these people get much better uh, and, and the, the just dramatic improvements in their lives. But you mentioned that this is a huge problem, and no question, this is becoming a global problem. Uh, in the U.S., for example, it is uh, set to bankrupt Medicare in the next 15 years. Wow. So it's a huge problem. It's now in the U.S. become the third leading cause of death after cardiovascular disease and cancer. In the U.K., dementia is the number one leading cause of death now. It has actually passed cancer and cardiovascular disease. So this is a huge problem. Uh, and as you know, in in, uh, in Australia, now one of the leading causes of death is dementia as well, uh, and a growing problem, and a one that there for which there really hasn't been anything. And uh, the the big change that we're seeing is that when I trained in medicine, which was in the 20th century, it was all about what is it? We learn to make a diagnosis, you yep. know, is it cancer? Is it measles? Is it a broken leg? You know, what is it? And when it comes to these complex chronic illnesses like Alzheimer's, people were trying to treat these and still are trying to treat these without asking what causes it. It really makes no sense. You're yeah. saying, well, we're going to give you a pill and it doesn't, the pill doesn't have anything to do with why you got it. So in the 21st century, medicine is changing and now it's all about why. Why did you get this? And for these complex chronic illnesses like Alzheimer's, we find typically 10 to 25 different contributors. So we tell patients it's like having a a roof with 36 holes in it because initially we identified 36 different contributory mechanisms of which people have typically a third to a half or so of those that are abnormal. So you can identify if they have specific pathogens. You can identify identify if they have specific toxic contributors. And you can address these. So very much like what you're doing with biohacking, you are addressing the things that are actually contributing to your problem. So how do you determine the why? How do you figure out what might be causing it? 
by doing the very tests that doctors aren't typically doing, and that's the whole change. So, for example, when I train, what we do with people who come in with cognitive decline, we do a very simple set of tests, which doesn't tell us anything about what's actually driving it. So, uh, what we're doing now is based on 30 years, so I ran a lab for 30 years, where we asked the fundamental question, what are the molecular drivers of the neurodegenerative process, whether you're talking about Alzheimer's or Lou Gehrig's disease or Parkinson's or Lewy body or on and on. And what we found was really interesting, that in each of these diseases, there is a fundamental mismatch between what is supplying a specific subdomain of the brain. In Alzheimer's, you're looking at what is really a plasticity network. It's all about making and storing new memories, making and storing new synapses. It takes certain supply to do that. And on the other hand, you have a demand because this is a a very demanding system as you're continually, you know, you're forgetting the seventh song that played on the radio on the way to work yesterday normally, and you're remembering critical features as well. So you've got this, you know, moment by moment change in your brain structure every day. So when you look at that with people with Alzheimer's, they're on the wrong side of that they, are, they literally have a mismatch between what it takes to drive that synaptic plasticity and what they're supplying it with. And it's typically because of a few different categories. So people who, for example, have anything that's causing chronic inflammation, and that can be exposure to Lyme disease. Uh, it can be uh, pathogens from your mouth, things like uh, P. gingivalis or F. nucleatum or things like that. What are those? These are oral bacteria that are associated with periodontitis. So if you have gum disease, you are at increased risk for giving yourself systemic inflammation, which leads to a number of things. A common one is leaky gut. So again, in biohacking, and you know, again, there's a tremendous amount. I think that's one of the take-homes for me was we've been told that this disease, that when you have cognitive decline, Come in late because there's nothing you can do about it. No one's going to be able to help you and assume that you're going to die, that you're not going to get any help. In fact, it's the opposite of that. The armamentarium for this disease is huge and there's a tremendous opportunity for biohacking, starting with getting yourself understanding what is causing inflammation, getting rid of that. And people will say, oh, you have to take an anti-inflammatory. Well, it's not quite that simple. You want to know what's causing it. <laughs> if you have a leaky gut, you want to heal your leaky gut. Yeah. You want to make sure you're on the right probiotics. You want to make sure you have the right prebiotics. If you are insulin resistant, that is another key contributor and beautiful epidemiological studies for years showing that insulin resistance is a contributor. If you then... Uh, get all the way to type 2 diabetes, you've more than doubled your risk for Alzheimer's disease. So the big surprise is that what we call Alzheimer's disease is really a protective downsizing program of your brain. Imagine you, you know, you're obviously a, an excellent athlete. You're in great shape. Now imagine that you didn't do anything right. Imagine that you started eating all the wrong foods. You never worked out. You didn't, Your body would downsize. You wouldn't yeah. look the same. You wouldn't be in the same shape. And your brain, when it's making the amyloid that we associate with Alzheimer's, it is literally undergoing a protective downsizing response. No different than you do in a country. 
if you were a country and you found out that you either have you know people invading you, that would be like the inflammation, or you've got uh, you know tremendous pollution. That's the toxic or what we call toxic, type three yeah, Alzheimer's. Type three, yeah. Unfortunately, these things, many of them are either neurotoxins or immunotoxins, and of course they're trying to knock down your immune system so that you'll let them live inside you. So these things are defending themselves, and absolutely these contribute to cognitive decline. You've got to identify them. You've got to get rid of them. So what we do now is we look at much larger data sets. And, you know, that is the future of medicine. That's 21st century medicine. We've gotten away for millennia as doctors with getting these tiny little data sets. We're looking at the most complex machine we know of, a human Mm. organism, Mm. and it's now malfunctioning. And we are saying, oh, what's the serum sodium? What's the serum potassium? It makes no sense. These are complex organisms. You have to look at many different variables. How does the average person out there go and get tested? Because I know you're very passionate about getting... uh, there's a test. I'll let you, you tell people about it. The, yeah, because uh, he spoke about, you know, everything needs to be measured or you need to look yes. at something much like if you have a broken arm, ah, there it is. We can try and fix that with the brain. Why not look at the same way? Easier said than done because you can't lift open the brain and look. So how do you measure that? And ergo, how do then we adopt what you're talking about to measure it ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, there's a lot you can do even without that. But we recommend just what you said. We recommend that people do look to see what's under the hood, essentially. And the good news is that you can get a tremendous amount of information from metabolic profiling. So essentially, you're just going and asking, okay, let's go back to the subtypes. Do I have active ongoing inflammation? If so, what is it from? You want to you know that. So check your HSCRP, for example. Yeah. Easy to do. Then you want to know if you have insulin resistance. 80 million Americans are insulin resistant. So about a quarter of the population in the U.S. And I suspect it's probably pretty similar in Australia. Well, it's called type 3 diabetes. Some people are causing... And that's yeah, and so that's part of it. And I think yeah. the point about type three diabetes is because insulin resistance is so common, but you can certainly get it without that. So yep. that's that's a, a subtype, subtype of it. Yep. So you want to know your fasting insulin. Yep. You want to know whether you have a high fasting glucose, and of course you want to know your hemoglobin A1C. And these mm-hmm. three things give you complementary information, basically. And by the way, there's a new that there's a new thing on the market which I think is really helpful. Now, I have nothing to do with it, but um, this is uh, called Freestyle Libre, and this is actually from Abbott Labs. And what it is, it's a patch you wear on your upper outer arm, and what it does, it gives you a continuous glucose monitoring for two weeks. And what we've found when people use this, they find the things that are spiking their insulin. They find the things that are also dropping their insulin. So one of, for example, one woman was waking up at 2 a.m. It's like, why the heck am I always waking up at 2 a.m. and I can't get to sleep again? Well, guess what? Her, when she went to bed, her glucose was plummeting because she was eating high glycemic foods. Yeah. So she would plummet to 50 and no surprise, boom, on boom. comes the epinephrine trying yeah. to get your glucose back up. And she wakes up and not knowing what it is. Well, once she had the freestyle there, she could say, ah, this is when it goes up. The other thing she was doing, by the way, uh, is that she was eating, quote, uh, healthy oatmeal. <laughs> well, when she would do that, she would just spike her yeah. glucose. So now she can get rid of all these things and really 
help herself for the future. Incredible. And this will help you for your cognition and knowing that you don't have insulin resistance. And then you want to know a whole set of nutrients. You want to know your homocysteine, You want, which is, reflects your methylation. You want to know your ability to detox, things like your glutathione. You want to know your hormones. You want to know your trophic factors. All of these things are critical. They can all be determined. And so what we recommend is that people get a, quote, cognoscopy. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. You've termed so, it a cognoscopy. Yeah, so we, we coined that term just because, you know, <laughs> Everybody knows you get a colonoscopy when you turn 50. It's a good idea. You know, you can hopefully decrease your risk of, of having colon cancer in the future. It's a lot more friendly though, isn't it? Then, uh... Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so exactly right. Uh, so a number of people have said, you know, we don't like the term cognoscopy. It's not a very pretty term. Well, you know, which do you want? Do you want to, do you want a colonoscopy or do you want to get a blood test? I prefer the latter. Exactly. So, you know, and it's easy. It's an easy set of things to do. And the good news, now you can also get an online cognitive assessment. You can do it through CogState. You can do it through a number of other things. Um, you know, Lumosity, Brain HQ. Uh, we like to use one called CNS Vital Signs, but all of these things will give you a fairly rapid. And you can also do, if you want, you know, with your significant other, 12-minute MOCA for free, uh, a Montreal Cognitive Assessment. It's not as sensitive as these others, the online ones, um, but it'll at least give you a general idea. So next, we're going to ask Dr. Bredesen to break down exactly how we can start to hack our minds through what we eat and how we live our lives. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Adam, I know you've got a myriad of questions. We've gone through quite a lot of science so far, which some of it's gone over my head, but some of it's sinking in. I'm looking forward to um, going through the show notes. And you can do the same. Go through the show notes and click on all the links we've got for Dr. Dale Bredesen so you can see for your own eyes how you can start to do things like get a cognoscopy and look at your insulin resistance and look at your inflammation and start doing it yourself. But and buy his book. And buy his book. And buy it's a great book, book well. The End of uh, Alzheimer's Disease. It's a, Alzheimer's. It's a great book, um, a great man, and, and obviously some of the takeaways for the, for the people out there today is the fact that we can control our destiny um, through our behaviours and our lifestyles largely. And if you have a look at the book, it talks about the pillars, which we'll go into now, which are diet, exercise, stress, sleep, um, environmental things as well. So the big pillar for me, I think, from reading the, the book and reading all his stuff is the pillar that underlines a lot of uh, the expression of our genes is diet. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I, again, as a classically trained physician, I thought this was crazy at first. I, you know, I would have laughed at a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now, but, you know, the, the data don't lie. And in fact, you can, you can see repeatedly people on appropriate diets do so much better. People who are eating the so-called SAD, the standard American diet, uh, is uh, are, are doing poorly. You know, they, they've got more obesity. They have more type 2 diabetes. They have more cardiovascular disease, hypertension. When I was on the, on the National Aging Council years ago, uh, there was a very interesting study done by one of, them, uh, one of my colleagues on, on the, the council. And what he looked at was, when do Americans get their first chronic illness versus when do people living in the UK get their first chronic illness? Even though both of those countries don't have particularly long lifespans yep. uh, as a whole. So Americans get their first chronic illness in their 40s on average. Yep. 
And the the Brits actually get their first chronic illness on average in their 50s. So they have almost a decade more of health span than Americans do. Now, we have almost an identical lifespans. So the Americans have a much longer sick span, which is one of the reasons that about 20% of America's GDP is going to healthcare. It's just an unbelievable mm-hmm. amount of money the spent span, on health. That's an interesting phrase that I don't think we should have had to coin. So how, you're talking about how long you are sick for in the span of your life, a sick yeah. span. So if you're getting ill in yeah. your 40s and you're living until you know 75 or 80, which is fairly typical now, you're spending essentially half of your life is six span. And we know that um, we hate the word diets, but lifestyle, your approach is a lifestyle approach. So tell us about the 12 and 3 method. Sure. So we, we coined the term Keto Flex 12-3, and it's just simply a way to say, these are the critical things you want to do. Yep. Number one, you want to have a plant-rich, and it doesn't have to be completely plants, but plant-rich mm-hmm. diet with organic pla- you know, organic plants, please. Uh, those are going to do better. Look, You can look at the the uh, clean 15 and the dirty dozen if you want dirty to look dozen. at where do you yep. really have to you know, make sure to buy organic. But, you know, these things do have pesticides on them yep. uh, that are associated with neurodegeneration, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, so you want to get into mild ketosis. Um, it's flexitarian. You, and you, if you're going to have meat or fish, that's fine. But have it as a condiment, small amounts. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be beef, make it grass-fed beef. If it's going to be chicken, you know, pastured chicken. Pastured eggs, things like that are great. And again, you know, I, I would have laughed if, that I was going to be talking about this uh, 15 years ago. <laughs> but in fact, it actually turns out to be very helpful. Uh, and then uh, 12 and 3, that you want to have a minimum of 12 hours between finishing your dinner and starting the next day's meal, whether it's breakfast, brunch, or lunch. And you want to make sure also to make to heal your gut because so many people have yeah, leaky gut. we've done a few episodes on that. Exactly. It turns out to be incredibly important. And having the right microbiome, as you know. In fact, you look at the microbiome, the gut microbiome in someone with Alzheimer's, it is actually different than the gut microbiome on average than someone who doesn't have Alzheimer's. And in fact, what's interesting is the microbiome in Alzheimer's is actually quite similar to that in obesity and in diabetes. Some of the key takeaways from from the the, the, the diet pillar as such, uh, not eating high processed carbohydrates. Um, can you explain to people why they're so bad? Right. And so, in fact, yeah, you again, you want to have a good fats-based and plant fats-rich ba- um, in things like avocados and nuts and seeds and, and oils. Uh, and some people have argued, you know, oils, uh, some people don't like those as much, but the bottom line is these do help give you the energy that you need. And if you have cognitive decline, you need something to replace the fact that you're not burning carbohydrates mm-hmm. as well as you should be. Yep. And so, you know, you want to have a high fat, very low, and hopefully close to zero simple carbs. Yep. And then, of course, by simple carbs, carbs, you mean grains, breads, rice, right. pasta. So, we, typically, what we tell people is three things. You want to stay away from grains, just as you just said. You want to stay away from uh, from s- simple carbs. Uh, and you want to stay away from dairy. Those are kind of the big three. Dairy because of the inflammatory nature. Now, again, some people, if you're doing your own dairy, and you know, especially if you've got A2 dairy, that's not so bad. And then the fourth one would be lectins in those who have autoimmunity, yeah. in those who actually have problems, ongoing problems with inflammation. You may want to take that fourth step, but most people don't need to do that. But sure is the big one, isn't it? The processed carbohydrates, and it's that's the why big we speak about and it's the one that's it's the one that's most contributory. So yeah, you, you want to get most of your car... Most of your calories from fats. And then protein, you want to be intermediate. So yep. typically about one gram per kilogram yep. of 
body mass. Yep. Uh, and then you want to have the you know very low, and, and you want to have some complex carbs, and you know lots of vegetables and things like that. They're certainly going to have some complex carbs in them. And then second piece of it is. Uh, the exercise part, and, and actually, as you know, many things from exercise, not only for the aerobic part of it, uh, by the way, you increase your insulin sensitivity yep. Yep. through weight training. That's right. So yeah. you want to have both. And some people, of course, like to do HIT. Uh, and I don't know if you're a HIT proponent or not, but that's another, like another yeah. good way to go. So you're saying a mix of high intensity and then slower burn weightlifting exercise. Right, because in fact, the muscle mass is what helps you more with the insulin sensitivity. Yeah, because the more Whereas, muscle you have, it's better for your metabolism. Is that correct? Because Adam always says muscle is medicine. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, you know, you want to have the increase in BDNF. And the good news now, there are What's ways BDNF? to get... So BDNF is brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It is the predominant neurotrophin uh, in the, the cholinergic system in the brain, which is the critical one for making and forming memories and mm. the one that's really mm. hit heavily in Alzheimer's disease. Mm. So BDNF supports that. Exercise increases the BDNF, and there's a new supplement out that also can help you, which is called Whole Coffee Fruit Extract, WCFE. It's available in numerous places, um, and that increases your BDNF as well. So we think of this in three ways. We think removal, you're removing the things that are actually giving you cognitive decline. That's the, you know, the lousy diets, the leaky guts, the mycotoxins, but your removal. Second piece, resilience. Just what you're doing with your exercising, doing, keeping yourself in good health. Having that resilience makes it so you can handle these things. And then the third part is rebuilding. And so that is, do you need stem cells? And some of these people actually do go in. But the idea of stem cells, there are all these stem cell trials where that's all they do. Well, that's like trying to rebuild a house as it's burning down. You want to <laughs> first put out the yeah. fire, yeah. right? You want to do the yeah. removal and the resilience, yeah. then do the rebuilding. And that talking about rebuilding sleep. Um, Absolutely. Talk about the importance of sleep for brain health. Sleep is one of the most important things, as you know. I mean, for all sorts of reasons. As, as you mentioned, it, you know, it reduces the, the amount of amyloid that you're actually producing. Tell people about that, how well, the brain washes itself when you're asleep. Through, so, right? of course, yeah. So, there's so-called glymphatic system, yeah. only discovered a few years ago, that allows the brain, literally, you change the architecture of the brain slightly and literally kind of wash things out mm. during that time. Now, it's interesting. People keep on saying, you got to get rid of the amyloid, you got to get rid of the amyloid. Well, the antibodies that get rid of amyloid have not worked. The problem is you're making this amyloid to protect yourself. So our argument is get rid of the reason you're making it first, then get rid of the amyloid. Because we've seen a number of people, you just start by getting rid of the amyloid, they actually get worse. So the glymphatic system is helping you to wash that out when you are not under attack. As long as you're under attack, you're going to keep it. Having your, your autophagy during the time you're sleeping and during that critical fasting period helping to get rid of this stuff, helping to get rid of damaged proteins. By the way, mitophagy, getting rid of damaged mitochondria, one of the most important things. If you just shut down mitophagy, yep. what do you get? Parkinson's disease. Mm. So you need that turnover. You need the fact that you're getting rid of these damaged and poorly functional organelles, proteins, lipids, all these damaged things. Sleep is part of that. And then, of course, you have to have it for your memory. It's critical to have both the non-REM component and the REM component in terms of memory. And as Matthew Walker, with his wonderful book, Why We Sleep, talks about, uh, if you're going to drink alcohol, that is going to affect your sleep, and you probably should be drinking your alcohol before noon, mm. strangely yeah. enough. But, you know, again, in moderation yeah. um, and not every day, that sort of thing. So sleep is absolutely huge. And here, the other critical thing, most people will not check to see 
if they have desaturation events. They're not, do they have sleep apnea? Mm. Do they have upper airway resistance syndrome, so-called URs? There are multiple reasons that people can have desaturation events when they sleep. This is critical, not only, by the way, for Alzheimer's, it's critical for macular degeneration. So what we're doing now with the protocol is starting to adapt it to all neurodegenerative diseases. And actually, macular degeneration is more common than Alzheimer's. It's the one that's more common. So all of these things represent mismatches in subdomains of the nervous system with respect to what you're supplying versus what you're demanding of them. And stress, obviously, every, you know. Stress, huge issue. Yeah. And in fact, you know, as, as was shown years ago, uh, people like Robert Sapolsky, professor at Stanford, has done, you know, wonderful work uh, on looking at what happens when just ramping up your cortisol mm. uh, shrinks your hippocampus. Mm. So, you know, you want your hippocampus to be shrunk down and atrophied and so that you're not able to make the memories. Give yourself lots of nice sugar, drive your insulin up, drive your uh, cortisol up, you know, poor vascular parameters, you'll shrink this right down. I have a chapter in the book actually on how to give yourself Alzheimer's. I love that. If you chapter. want to give yourself Alzheimer's, <laughs> you can, you know, you, you can do a pretty good job yeah. at doing that. And stress is a huge issue. And of course, you know, stress coming and going, that's what we're meant mm, to handle. Exactly. It's it's not the coming and going, it's the staying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you get stressed, in fact, just you know, exercise is stress. Mm. Getting up in the morning is stress. That's okay because it's stress that gets resolved. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Inflammation, as long as you're resolving it, again, you've got resolvents to do this. Mm. It's not so bad. It's this chronic activity that's killing us. And then beyond that, of course, brain training. Mm. And again, brain training alone does a lot of good things, but to do it with the right biochemistry, with the right insulin sensitivity, with the right BDNF, all those things, that's where brain training really shines. So it does shines. work. It does work, brain training? So, yeah, and again, it's gotten a, it's a, gotten a bad name yeah. <laughs> because people have said, oh, well, they're, they're claiming too many things. Well, in fact, if you do the right things, uh, you do the, you know, the right amount of time, and, and certainly uh, the, the professor, Mike Mersnick, actually, we've had a lot of interaction with Mike and his group, and in fact, our, uh, the approach that we have with, with the, our protocol includes Brain HQ, which is what he started. He's really the, yeah. the father of, of brain training and won the Kavli Prize for this just a couple of years ago. And so, do you, it like yeah. mental exercises? Like, yeah. So yeah. again, people will say, "Oh, it's just do any old thing." Well, it's it's not that simple. So he's really focused, and they've published over a hundred papers on this. Um, for example, they developed something called double decision, which reduced the likelihood of developing dementia ten years later. So it has you know long term effects. And so you really they've developed it correctly. Now, yes, to some extent, you can learn new languages, you can learn to play a new instrument, you can do Sudoku, yep. you can do a lot of different things. But I worry about these people who just say, oh, yeah, you just play a game. Yep. Well, the, not all games are created equal. And yep. they've gone to great lengths in the lab to find the ones that are actually most helpful. Things like Hawkeye and Double Decision. They've got a, a whole set of things. Amazing. We'll link to Dr. Dale Bredesen in our show notes to your book as well. You can learn about the Ketoflex diet, how to get your cognoscopy. And also, we want to thank the Biocidical Symposium for bringing you out and allowing us to talk to you. It's been absolutely fascinating and enjoy your time in Australia. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks very really much, Dr. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or find us on Apple Podcasts.